Let's go to the Dudemaker Hotline, and we'll talk to our political affairs correspondent, Magdalene Rose, uh, about this. And we're, we're, what, one month away now from the Iowa caucus. Um, there's not a lot of rambler, rumblings or ramblings on uh, the campaign trail. The debates having been massive television flops. And I guess the interest, it seems anyway, the interest in Republican primary seems to have uh, just dropped off the face of the earth. I, I have, have you seen Vivek Ramaswamy anywhere in the last uh, 10 days? I haven't seen anything. I've seen, him, I've seen him do podcast interviews. I've seen him try to flood social media with things, but he's not hitting the mainstream media like he used to be. It seems like what's happened is the mainstream media is in the tank now for Nikki Haley, and so they're squashing other candidates from coming up. You see, I haven't seen anything, uh, or I haven't seen much for for Nikki Haley either. You're seeing, uh, where, are they, where are they promoting Nikki Haley? Well, they're promoting her on Fox News. They're promoting her on News Nation. They've got her out there with the Coke Network. They've got her in sort of that money world within the GOP. And it's interesting because I remember being at a Republican event maybe five years ago. And one of the, at the time, main young conservative movers and shakers saying to me, you have no idea the amount of money that has been set aside for Nikki Haley to be president. And that was five years ago when she was really not making indications. She was still um, UN secretary. And that was even set up then. So I think people need to not underestimate the kind of infrastructure that exists within the Republican Party right now to try to force Nikki Haley on us as president. Yeah, this kind of reminds me of the uh, what they tried to do in 2016 when they thought they were going to force feed, and I thought they were going to get away with it. They thought they were going to force feed uh, low-energy Jeb Bush on us. Yeah, it is the same sort of thing. And they have the same backers. And so you see recently that she was endorsed by a whole slew of conservative think tanks. And the DeSantis campaign has called the think tanks out for this, essentially saying, how are you supporting someone who is pro-intervention on pretty much every area of foreign policy, who mocked our efforts to take on Disney? Where Where is the accountability here? And nobody cares. So I think DeSantis has found himself even more outside the establishment than he previously was. That's a pretty incredible thing because he has the, uh, at least in some quarters, he seems or he supposedly has the backing of Karl Rove, doesn't he? He does. He has, he has a lot of people in that world who would not mind if he was president. But I think that the difference is we've sort of been led to believe that he was the establishment pick, and that's not the case. He is somebody they would not try to destroy in the same way they would try to destroy Vivek, but he's not their pick. Nikki Haley is their pick, and she was their pick five years ago. Because I remember young conservatives telling me when they were going to get out of college who were entering then that they were ready to work on Nikki Haley's campaign now. So she's the establishment pick, and imagine if she's at the top of the ticket. What kind of neocon monstrosity would be her VP? Oh, good Lord. <laughs> Sean Hannity. <laughs> um, there is one thing uh, that, uh, that, that, that could come up, and someone that is a voter in a primary state that has a closed primary, like South Carolina, for example, or New Hampshire would have standing for this. And that is the fact that Nikki Haley is the Manchurian candidate, Magdalene. 
Her mother and father mm -hmm. were both not American citizens at the time of her birth. Mm -hmm. There is no doubt she is not a natural-born citizen under anyone's warped imaginatory, or imaginatory uh, uh, con conception of what an NBC is. They didn't catch this in 2016, although I think Trump mentioned it in one of the debates. Um, that is an open avenue there uh, if she appears to go too far or appears to get uh, uh, close enough. I still, uh, with, 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 uh, would you agree that there seems to be very little interest in 2024 right now? I, I mean, if we had to gauge from what you and I talked two weeks ago to today, I'd, I'd say that, you know, it was at a, a, on, a, on a one to 10 scale. I'd put it at, a, oh, I don't know, a five or a six two weeks ago. Today, I'd put it at a two or a one. Yes, there, there's a big drop off. And I think the reason for that is because the front runner of the whole thing, being Donald Trump, isn't on the debate. He isn't in the interviews. So when you have a primary field where you know every time you look at it, that the front runner isn't going to be at the event. It's very sort of frustrating, and I think it depletes the energy. I am somebody who thinks he should debate. I think if you run for president, you should be debating in the circle, no matter how unfair you might think it is towards you. And there are a lot of people who think that. So even amongst Republicans, there's sort of this idea, of, oh, what does it matter anyway? He's not going to be there. And that's something that someone like DeSantis has to try to deal with, because without the energy and interest in the Republican Party in the process, he suffers because he needs that whole burst of energy to get over the finish line in a way that other candidates who have less of an issue with the Trump world don't. Now. Tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern is the big hoop-de-doo DeSantis-Newsom debate. Now, this is only going to be broadcast on Fox. Pawn Vanity is going to be the neocon host, obviously. Um, um, uh, Gruesome Newsom obviously knows that he's walking in if Admiral Akbar is around from Star Wars. It's a trap. Yeah, obviously, it would be fully cognizant. I mean, I might actually watch this because I want to see how good or bad Newsom is in a debate mm -hmm. against a formidable foe. Because simply by the virtue of the fact that I think it's becoming apparent and more and more clear that the uh, the big money and the heavy the heavy money and the 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 people that control the super delegates in the Democrat Party are mortified of having their candidate be Joe Joseph Robinette Biden. So it seems to me that Newsom is being put out there. I don't know how they're going to do it, and I don't know how they're going to get rid of Joe unless they go along with the impeachment and just let him resign. Uh, but I'll be interested to see how Newsom uh, debates to it's not going to matter a hill of beans. I just want to see what kind of candidate he is. Yeah, I think it's an interesting concept. And I actually like the idea of having debates where you have governors who are completely different, Republican and Democrat, out there debating. I think it's a real throwback to the 1960s. I think it's a good way forward. This case is even more interesting because DeSantis wanted this debate. He really pushed for it. And I think he's banking on it as a way to say not only does he believe Joe Biden will not be the nominee, but that he is the best guy to combat the youth message of the Democrat Party as well. Mm. There's a lot of focus on constantly who is going to be able to combat Joe Biden's campaign. But there's a bigger problem in America in that who's going to be able to combat the youth wing of the Democrat Party within politics. And that is really being led by Gavin Newsom for some reason. I don't know why. I don't think he's a particularly skilled orator or a great governor, but people really bank on Newsom with the Democrats. 
So having DeSantis be there to combat that is a good indicator. Now, let's say Trump becomes nominee and it, it's a wipeout. And, and it, even if Trump wins or loses the general election, a debate like this, if he does well, could set DeSantis up to run again in 2028. So it, to me, it's DeSantis has everything to lose. Well, if DeSantis really wants to, to 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 see to it that he is the 2028 guy or he's the front runner, then the best thing that could happen for him is that uh, it's an impressive night tonight, and things go as some people think, and Haley or um, Vivek or DeSantis win Iowa. I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say right now, I'm going to proclaim it's November the 30th, 2023, and I'm going to tell you right now at eight. 48 a.m. Central Standard Time that, and I don't know what date, Maggie can find it out for us, I don't know what date the New Hampshire primary is, but I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to tell you that Donald John Trump is going to be on the ballot and he's going to win the New Hampshire primary and it's not even going to be close. This is the first primary in the in the United States that's closed, and it is the proverbial bellwether. Uh, Trump will win the New Hampshire primary. It doesn't matter how much money is poured into by DeSantis. As a matter of fact, I'd save my money if I were those guys. Try and take Trump on somewhere else. Maybe even try for DeSantis to take him on in Florida. Trump will win the New Hampshire primary, which will knock out uh, maybe another candidate or two. By the time we get to South Carolina, Trump will win South Carolina. You know, the people of South Carolina don't like their former governor very much. He will beat Nikki Haley in South Carolina as well. So then it's going to come to, this is an interesting twist. They moved the Florida primaries up eight years ago or 12 years ago during Obama-Romney. They moved it up. It's like number three or, or number four um, uh, on the lineup here. There's a lot of electoral votes that are at stake in Florida. What an interesting thing that the throwdown comes down to. It's not really who's going to win Florida. It's who's going to come in second. Is it going to be Haley or is it going to be DeSantis? See, I actually don't think that it's a necessary um is that necessarily Trump is going to win Florida. I think that there is a real reason to think that. But if you look at the margin by mm -hmm. which DeSantis won re-election, and we're talking about 21 points, and he did not even mobilize the fullness of what he's capable of with his young voter initiatives in Florida. Now, of course, Trump is the one who's in contention. Nikki Haley's not going to win Florida. No. I don't even think Nikki Haley's going to get third. I'm going to get second, rather. But I think that Donald Trump is concerned about Florida. There's a difference in the way that Trump was received in Florida in 2020 when people went out en masse and voted for him, and it was big. And now, DeSantis has been the guide to protect Florida. And, you know, we've talked about this before. Those COVID lockdown policies, it was a problem. Trump was much more for them. DeSantis was against them. Yep. DeSantis opened up the schools. It is a problem, and it's something that Trump's own people acknowledge in private that is an issue. I don't think that Trump is as locked and loaded for Florida. I'd bet him winning New Hampshire more than Florida. Also, Trump has not been able to really campaign in Florida because he's so tied up in the legal issues. So the more that that kicks up steam in the coming months, the more I think DeSantis is going to win Florida, Trump will win New Hampshire, and DeSantis will probably win Iowa. Interesting stuff here with our political affairs correspondent, Magdalene Rose. Um, uh, the, the Democrat primary, now, I don't know that there's even going to be a Democrat primary. Is there? No, I don't think. No, I don't think there's really going well, to be a Democrat they, primary. Okay, th this is the mystery then. How do they get, does, how do they get gruesome newsome? As their candidate, 
There's only one. There's, there's only two ways it happens. Biden dies or Biden quits. I think Biden will quit, but not for a very long time. We could get right to the convention and Biden could quit. The insurance that Newsom has in being the guy they replaced Biden with is that everyone hates Kamala Harris and that she's really stupid. So the insurance <laughs> there protects him in that they can wait till the very end. They can get to the convention and he can be safe in knowing they're not going to swap in the vice president in any other circumstance. If the president goes out and the Democrats, you swap in the vice president, the president can't run, whatever. But not this case. So I think we're going to get to the convention. I think Biden's going to resign. And I, if, if this happens, Biden resigns. And the indicators for this will be that the convention for the Democrats is not about Joe Biden the way it is, the way for Republicans it's about the nominee, but instead it's about some big overarching message. That can be our clue that perhaps Biden won't be the nominee. I don't think, uh, okay, <clears throat> there is the issue, now we don't study this a lot, now maybe you do, uh, but most uh, lay people would not study this. The only reason I know about it is because I've been doing this for 32 years. This will be my ninth presidential campaign, and it will be the fifth one, or sixth one, that I've had really, really uh, very rapt attention in it, and I know a little bit about it, and I know a little bit about, I know a little bit about the history. Here's what happened in 2008. So let's replay 2008. Hillary thinks she's going to cruise to victory. She loses Iowa. Obama wins Iowa. Obama is the polling data, odds-on favorite to win New Hampshire. All the Democrat pollsters, Mark Green and all of them, were all wrong. Hillary wins. Uh, Hillary wins New Hampshire. She goes down and she wins South Carolina. And um, uh, the 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 break wall uh, was that Obama was not going to go away. Obama wins Florida, and then comes Super Tuesday. And Obama almost makes a clean sweep across the South, which is just shocking. Um, and at that point, Hillary is on the defensive. And this now, now the negotiation begins. Okay, so this is how this played out. Why did they nominate Obama? Number one, the fix was in for a black guy to, or an alleged black person to be the Democrat nominee and to be the first supposed black president. That's that's one thing. Uh, the, uh, the state runs, uh, fifth estate, state-owned run media was all in on it. They got excited about it, uh, genuinely excited about it, but more so than just being in the tank. Um, and then the third thing was the superdelegates in the Democrat Party hated the Clintons. They still hate right. the Clintons. Um, and so the superdelegates in the Democrat Party said, we want that Obama guy. And ultimately, yeah. that's what's going on behind the scenes. The superdelegates get all the votes. They have two-thirds of the majority. at the. Did you know that? Superdelegates have yeah. two-thirds of the majority at the Democrat uh, convention. It doesn't matter. It, 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 Biden could win all 50 primaries, and Gruesome Newsom could go to the convention and he could be nominated simply by virtue of the fact that he wins the super de that he has the backing of the super delegates. Yeah. And the thing with that, I think, going forward is that with the Trump issue and with all of this, Joe Biden knows that the party has an innate distrust of him since the Bernie Sanders issue where they stole the nomination from him pretty much twice. They know they know that they know that Bernie Sanders popped the bubble around super delegates and let and let people into this knowledge. So with, when it comes to Newsom, they have to be very careful. I would imagine what they would do first is truly stop covering up the gas. 
and let the world see that he is completely senile and has no idea where he is. <laughs> when you start to see that and you see the media no longer covering for him, then you have a reason for him to step down. But they have to crack that bubble first. They have to remove the protection, let the American people see he's incompetent. And then it's like Newsom is coming in in a caregiving way. It's not some usurping of the throne. It's let me take it over so you can rest. You've done your duty to our country. You slayed the Trump dragon in 2020. It'll be manufactured like that. If Biden is not the nominee. Oh, come on, Grandpa. You've you fought yeah. the good fight, Grandpa. Yeah. But, you know, you know, you're old and you're not looking so healthy. Why don't you just go in your yeah. chair over there? We're going to put a blanket across your legs. <laughs> and you can watch the festivities from the, from the skybox. Um, yeah. There's one final thing to all this. Uh, I think I'm the only person that is... Uh, reporting on this or even acknowledging this. The last time the Democrats brought their convention to Chicago was an absolute bloodbath disaster. Yeah. <laughs> They're having their convention in Chicago. Yeah. I, I yeah. mean, if, if, if the history of Democrat conventions in Chicago was any guide, 1968, just look, yeah. you can just do a simple Google search, Democrat convention 1968, you'll find riots, people were killed in the streets, the National Guard gets yeah. called out. Um, oh, who did they nominate? Was it, who who lost to Nixon? Was it Humphrey? It was. I think think so. I think it was Humphrey. Whoever lost to Nixon in, in 68 was in, you know, this is the height of the Vietnam War. Uh, a young, uh, young, boy, young men are being killed by, by the thousands and shipped home and um, a very disres in a very disrespectful manner. Um, all of this is going on. Johnson doesn't even try to put a fight up, basically. No. <laughs> Johnson goes, hey man, you want to run against Tricky Dick? You want to run against Nixon? Go ahead, bruh. I'm going home. I'm going to go watch the rest of the Apollo missions. Uh, on TV, the fact that they're going back to Chicago, to me, mm -hmm. couldn't happen to a more uh, to a more demonic and corrupt group of, of people. I wonder how many of them are going to get it. Kind of security they're going to have. That convention center is in downtown Chicago. It's, it's a nightmare. And the question is, why are they going to Illinois? What is the point? Yeah, of what's the point? Deep blue state. Well, I think that they have concerns. You know, I was thinking about this earlier with the DeSantis-Trump issue. Trump has a lot of states where he comes out ahead, but there are a few states, like Arizona, that, it, that the majority of Republicans just hate him. And he's always had this issue. It's always been the never-Trumpers. And I think that there is an idea for Democrats that there could be a bubbling resentment towards the Democrat Party in deep blue states, much like what has happened with Republicans in Arizona, because a lot of Republicans don't like Trump in Arizona and Nevada as well. So they want to reaffirm their base. But it looks to me like their strategy is to keep the blue blue going forward and not necessarily to try to win over new voters. Because why would a Democrat need to campaign in Illinois? No why way. would you even no want to highlight Chicago at this point with all the danger as well? Because it shows the incompetency of Biden on crime. Well, Biden is... Uh... <laughs> all right. Will the Republicans do anything about Biden in the House of Representatives? Will they impeach him? No, I don't think they'll impeach him. And I think Mike Johnson 
is not going to push forward with this. It, it doesn't seem to help. And there are really big things Republicans are mad about right now, mainly Ukraine and the ridiculous spending to a man who demands that we give over our country to supply things for him and Zelensky. So I think that that's more of an issue. And Johnson can build more of a cohesive caucus on stopping that if he can stop supporting Ukraine as such. Uh, Maggie, playing digital media file number nine. Uh, for Magdalene, and then we're gonna we'll wrap up on this. This is uh, okay to that subject there. Um, this is Tom Fitton, um, who was out in front of the Capitol building yesterday um, uh, after another uh, judicial watch victory, secured a FOIA a FOIA release of information that the Biden regime had fought to keep locked up. Here's Fitton on what uh, ought to happen next. Uh, I'm Tom Fitton. I'm president of Judicial Watch, America's leading government watchdog organization. Uh, we have a simple request for Congress. Do your job. It's not enough to do investigations and reports. We need to stop the government corruption and abuse uh, that is so concerning to the American people. Uh, in this new budget fight, or basically the old budget fight that we're being asked to pretend is new, uh, the, there's an inflection point. Are we going to continue to fund Republicans in the House the wild abuse by the Biden administration of its political opponents, the mass censorship of tens of millions of Americans, the border invasion we've heard so much about, and the other wild abuses of power that are right now fully funded with Congress? And I don't know what we're talking about with a clean CR. I see a dirty CR. A CR that will fund the worst, the dirty politics and corruption in our federal government. And there's a positive moral obligation right now, not next year, but right now, to stop the abuses, the effort to jail Trump on pretextual, unprecedented charges in a way never seen before in American history. An obligation to stop right now the Biden administration censorship of tens of millions of Americans. The obligation to stop right now the illicit use of tax monies to fund abortions in our military and elsewhere. The uh, right, we need to stop right now the attack on children through the promotion of transgender extremism. We need to stop right now the lack of serious investigation into the Biden administration corruption, specifically Biden corruption. We need a Justice Department or a special counsel that has confidence of the American people. All of these issues can be addressed in this continuing resolution. And if they don't want to address it, that suggests to me those who, for, for, who vote for it are on the side of corruption and those who oppose it are on the side of justice. Thank you very much. So, um, uh, he's right. All spending bills originate in the House. There's nothing new under the sun. Uh, whatever Mike Johnson is going to do, and he's just been revealed as a tool for the neocons, if you ask me. Whatever Mike Johnson is going to do, um, I don't believe he's going to be a Newt Gingrich, and I don't believe that he's going to phone 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue and tell him, Buckle in, buddy, because it's going to be a long, cold December. Shutdown is coming, and we're not giving in. <laughs> You're, we're going to send you this CR, and it's not going to have about $500 billion in it. You either sign it or the whole thing stays shut down. The House has the entire power here, and that's what Fitton said. The Senate has no power whatsoever other than to concur. The Republicans control the House. Either they're going to use their majority or they don't freaking deserve it.
No, they don't deserve it. But this is the other thing with that. Republicans in America, voters don't believe that Republicans deserve the majority. If they believe they deserve the majority, then we would have given them a bigger one than we did. So there is a, an innate hatred that Republican voters have for the House. And I think one of the problems is Republicans in the Senate, what have they been doing? They've been doing nothing. You've seen no legislative action. You've seen no leadership, no efforts to promote anything. I mean, where is Ted Cruz? Where is Marco Rubio? Where are the big deal senators who have national name brand recognition, in some cases international name brand recognition? They're not there. And I wonder why that is, except for the fact that they don't want to be dragged into the primary battle between DeSantis and Trump. So a lot of this is a lot of the leadership gap, the question over impeachment. I think it's coming from the fact that Mitch McConnell, first of all, is either senile or incapacitated. Something's going on there. And no one stepped into the leadership vacuum. And you have senators who don't want to get involved. So really, Republican senators are kind of an abdication of their duty right now. Yeah, I uh, I have absolutely no no use for no confidence. Yeah, the, the only thing I can say about Republicans in control in the House of Representatives is they're not Democrats, and it, it's not Pelosi. Yeah. <laughs> it's just anyone it's other. The only than, plus. The, it's the only plus, but I'm tired of <clears throat> being the only plus. Now I'm going to leave you with this. Um, we already have. Speaking of uh, Republicans and uh, uh, the the theory of good government and government being on the side of the people that are governed um, here in the state of Louisiana, a very a very quiet and wonderful revolution is occurring, and no one is paying any attention. Incoming Governor Jeff Landry is already laying the, and they didn't get inaugurated until January the 7th, is already laying the foundation for what the Landry administration is going to do. Um, uh, yesterday, we saw this. Um, a press conference was held. Governor Landry was given use of the uh, Caesars Palace Superdome. And uh, in the Superdome, he invited all the media and anyone else that wanted to come. And he announced basically that the city of New Orleans was basically going to be taken over by the state of Louisiana. And that the state police were going to supplant the New Orleans Police Department. And that the state police were going to begin the systematic taking over of all the cases, all the murder, rape, and violent crime cases that they could handle. And that the D district attorney of New Orleans was going to be relieved of prosecuting those. And the incoming Republican attorney general, Liz Morrell, was in her office was going to be charged with prosecuting those crimes, which was a, you know what, you're not going to do it. We're not going to let the crown jewel city of this state suffer like Chicago and the rest of those Democrat controlled cities. We're coming in and we're taking over. And justice is going to be served for the good people of this city, and we're going to restore law and order. Now, that to me, that's a great story. Why isn't the rest of the world, why isn't the rest of the Republican world, or the people of the United States, hearing about what's going on in my home state, my great state of Louisiana, Madeline? Because the RNC doesn't do anything. <laughs> because you have literally no effort to create a national platform. And I watched Rona McDaniel, the never-ending chairwoman of the RNC, say in an interview recently that the RNC does not deal with messaging. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, then what do you do if you don't deal with messaging? And she said, we don't deal with policy platforms and messaging. So then what are you? And that's why when you had previously a great situation in a state that was used as a blueprint and put into other states, but when you have an RNC who apparently believes 
that the position of the RNC is not to deal with messaging, a policy platform, or really any coordination between the Republican governors of America, then you have no success. And I just, I wonder how much more we're going to have to deal with looking at a great blueprint and not being transferred over. Because we already saw this with DeSantis in certain cases. We already saw this with the, the governor of South Dakota in other cases. Good governors cannot get a blueprint appreciated by the RNC enough to put it onto other states. So really, it's luck of the draw with where you live. Yeah, so uh, it's, a, it, it, it's, still, it's a great story. Uh, it's happening in real time. And I believe that Governor Landry is going to be a great governor for the state of Louisiana and is going to, to, is going to, is going to lead by example. I think the Governor DeSantis, by and large, was a great governor for the state of Florida. Um, I think that Sarah Huckabee Sanders has been, is, is shaping up to be a really good governor for Arkansas. So look at what's happening across the South here. You have Louisiana, you have Arkansas. Arkansas, you have Florida, um, you have some good people that are actually executives uh, in those states. Uh, I can't say anything for Texas because they think the Greg Abbott is just a complete and total tool, and it's just played by uh, the, he's played by whoever is playing that plays these, this game at the highest level. But there are good things that are going on out there. I think Governor Young can try to do the right thing, and again, just didn't have the right support team around him, and you know people wanted him to fail. Yeah, more people wanted him to fail than wanted him to succeed. So we're not, everything is not uh, as, as dreary as it, as it may seem. So keep an eye on the, what's happening here in Louisiana. All right, you can re, uh, uh, listen to Magnum's reports on the newscast every day and on the Rose reports uh, playing now on the Crusade Channel. Magdalene, as always, thank you very much. We'll see you next week. Thank you for having me.